G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. As you look around you, it doesn't take much to notice that the world is changing in a very significant way. Things are changing at a great rate of knots. And it's very difficult to keep up with this change. So is it just a generational change or are there some major shifts happening in trends and social issues that we need to keep abreast of? And what would leaders need to know about the changes that are taking place in today's world and how would they be able to discern changes into the future? Let's talk about some new ways that leaders need to think in a changing world. And what a pleasure it is to welcome Mal Fletcher, a social futurist and the head of the 2020 Plus International Think Tank based in London. Hello, Mal. Welcome to 2020. Hello, Neil. Nice to be with you. And a 2020 collaboration, I might say, today with the 2020 Plus Think Tank and on the 2020 radio show here in Australia. Mal, you are described as a social futurist. What does a social futurist do? Well, it's not about crystal ball gazing, Neil, I can tell you that. Uh, Social futurism really is about looking at current shifts in social values, social ethics, technology, all areas of change that affect social groups, and then mapping what that might mean if we continue along that line for businesses, for charities and NGOs, for governments and for churches uh, over the next 10 to 15 years. So it's really about tracking present change in order to understand where we might be headed if we continue along this route in the next few years. Oftentimes people talk about the rate of change continuing to accelerate and sometimes they're referring to technology but change in a lot of different areas means that leaders in particular have to be abreast of a lot more than perhaps they needed to in generations gone by. Yes indeed Um, I think that's Leadership is doubly important in an age of rapid change because leaders are, by virtue of their gifting or their vocation, if you will, uh, cultural architects. They shape the culture in support of certain values. Um, We're living in the age of what I call micro-brand. You know, everybody wants to be a brand today, which is what, in many ways, social media is about. Uh, We're in the age of micro-activism, too, where we don't any longer gather in large crowds to bring about social change. We do it online one-on-one in a micro form and in the midst of that leaders i think add a premium service they're able to connect the dots of change to make sense of change to connect people into worthwhile causes in the midst of change and of course to bring focus in an age of a great deal of distraction so leadership's more important in an age of rapid change mel for christian people who have their roots firmly in the bible in scripture There are challenges to the ethical basis that many Western nations are seeing at this present time and nations that have got a a strong Christian heritage definitely noticing ethical change. I note that you refer to these sorts of changes as like an ethics revolution. Yes, well, I think especially in the area, in the the face of burgeoning technology, which you mentioned a moment ago in your introduction, we've got everything from robotics to genetic medicine, biotech, eco-sciences, all seeing rapid change. 
And as a result of that, there are important questions starting to emerge about things like the law of unintended consequences. Are we giving enough thought to the future implications of present-day technologies? There are questions about the line between man and machine. If we invite technology increasingly into our bodies uh, through medical technologies, will we lose that line? Is it important anymore? I happen to think it is. There are questions about ultra-pragmatism, which is to say, is it right to use a technology to do something just because we can do it? And as you say, these are all questions relating to ethics. What's the right thing to do and how do I apply that to this situation? And I think leaders, and I would suggest particularly faith leaders, need to become more attuned to and active within this area of ethical debate. Because in the next decade, I say every major corporate board is going to have a professional ethicist at the table to help leaders map the complexities of new technologies. It would be wonderful if we could simply distill the right way, the right direction, the right ethics to apply to situations. And I guess when we talk about a Christian biblical context, we like to think that we have a way that we can distill those things into a biblical ethical framework. But uh, there does appear to be a, a major uh, earthquake that's happened in ethics that is breaking out of the environment where we might think we're comfortable to be able to say this is the right way, walk in it. Uh, there are big challenges ahead. Yes, there are challenges. I think the challenges have more to do with the way we engage the debate. Um, you can't be a voice for change unless you're willing to engage the cultural conversation with curiosity, in my view. So we can't come into the debate as a form of moral policeman. We need to come in with curiosity, trying to engage with people and the questions they're asking at their point of need. Um, a lot of the, the drive to new ethics, by the way, is driven by what I call the trust revolution. Uh, and that is something we can work with. The trust revolution started in things like person-to-person -person online retail with eBay and so on. It spread to micro-enterprise lending, lending to the working poor through groups like Kiva online. It spread to venture capitalism through crowdfunding, as we call it. And all, in each of those areas, Neil, the, the major currency is not the dollar, the pound or the euro. It is trust. It's a trust based on the assumption of ethical behavior. So I think in that area, the Christian church has a lot to offer uh, in proving trustworthiness and therefore uh, being able to engage the conversation in a very proactive way. Mel, as we talk about some of the changes happening in our world, you talk about a concept called collaborative innovation. What do you mean by collaborative innovation? Well, Neil... Um, in the age of mass communication, which is driven by the digital revolution, we've seen the emergence of mass collaboration. People now are able to connect en masse on the Internet to try to solve previously intractable problems. They're doing that with science. Uh, NASA today has 30,000 what they call click volunteers. These are just everyday people working on their computers at home to help NASA map the movements of planets through the skies. There are great breakthroughs because of collaboration in medicine people now with serious conditions uploading their medical records and inviting other people to send suggestions about how they could manage or even perhaps in some cases cure their ailments. So in the age of mass collaboration, I think leaders need to demonstrate that they are open to alliance building, to sharing information, to working on a bigger scale to solve major problems. People want to feel that they're part of organizations, whether it's a business or a church or a charity, it's having a large impact because it's committed to forming alliances beyond its own front door. So when we apply that to Christians, to the church, and not just nationally but also globally, uh, what sort of benefit could there be in this sort of collaboration in a spiritual leadership way? 
Well, I think, first of all, we have to redefine what we mean by spiritual leadership, because as you and I know, in, in the worldview that we advocate, God is not just interested in the inner part of human life. He's also interested in the material. Uh, that's been true ever since the book of Genesis. God is interested in all parts of his creation. And so uh, I think collaboration plays an important role in helping us to address some of the big social issues of our time, which should concern us. Um, there are examples already of alliances being built between Christian organizations and non-Christian organizations, NGOs and others, to help meet crushing needs around the world. In the past, the church has been more inclined to solve needs only within its own power under its own steam we haven't been so good at building alliances and can i just say neil it's important to note an alliance is not a covenant uh, a covenant if you want to use a biblical term is you know a, a really deep relationship where we share everything we share fundamental values uh, for life but an alliance is more the sharing of a task and once that task is complete we can move on form a new alliance with someone else so there are groups out there that i think the church can form alliances with even in a local setting, to achieve a given end uh, and then perhaps just move on. Mal Fletcher is our guest. We're talking about new ways that leaders need to think in a changing world. Mal, stay with us. I've got some questions for you about the way that our digital environment is overwhelming and enveloping all that we do and how we interact with that and how we should be thinking about that into the future. Mal Fletcher is our guest. Mal's a social futurist and head of the 2020 Plus International Think Tank based in London. We're back to talk some more in just a few moments. Well, we're talking through some issues today, new ways that leaders need to think in a changing world. Well, getting a grip on how the world is changing is a huge task on its own. We're talking with social futurist and head of the 2020 Plus International Think Tank based in London, Mal Fletcher. Mal, as we continue to talk about issues that leaders need to be aware of, and it does seem to be a huge task ahead, just mapping the idea that there is a revolution in ethics, that we need to collaborate more to be able to achieve anything, not just nationally but globally. Let's talk about the digital environment that we live in today. What are your thoughts on what leaders need to know about the future given that we have a digital environment that continues to accelerate yes well i think particularly in the area of digital communications neil there there are great advances that we've already seen there are some big advances to come Um, but along with the great benefits of we talked about before collaborative innovation for example is made possible by the digital revolution but with those benefits come some real social challenges and i think leaders need to be aware of these for example in the area of productivity there are studies already showing a, a, a sharp rise in what we call time starvation uh, a study in the in australia not too long ago showed that 75 percent of australian ceos can't switch off after work because they feel too wired to the internet Uh, And it's a fact that the brain needs downtime. It needs time to assimilate, make sense of new stimuli and build them into long-term memory, which is where innovation comes from. That's very difficult in an age of online multitasking where the average attention span, according to one study for people working online, is about eight seconds. (laughs) So it's difficult for the brain to get the time to assimilate and make sense of what it's it's seeing and learning. That's just one of the challenges Uh, that comes with a digital environment. So we need to humanise that environment to make sure that technology serves us but doesn't define us. When you talk about humanising the environment, uh, that's you're talking about a control, but making the 
the digital environment work more efficiently for us. Is that what you're saying? Yes, well, basically, I'm not advocating a Luddite solution. I'm a social futurist, you know, who can turn the clock back and who would want to. But it's important to remember, Neil, that technology is not destiny. We're not a product of the tools we choose to use. Technology is amoral. It's our choices about how we use that technology that shape the future. It's human choice that has the biggest say in whether tomorrow is a great time or not so good. And leaders, for their part, need to build cultures in which technology serves human interest. So we're not calling for a halt to progress. We're just occasionally saying, hey, let's rethink about whether this is really engaging human need or overcoming human need. For example, it might be as simple as setting up tech-free zones in the office or the home. Uh, that area over there by the coffee machine is, uh, is not for technology. We'd like to encourage you to use that for eyeball time, for human interaction. Um, digital fasting, having periods where we either as individuals or as groups decide we're not going to use digital today. We're going to use paper notebooks, for example. These are just simple ways of reminding people as leaders that uh, technology is meant to serve us, not define who we are. When we talk about Christian leaders, Mal, and Christians uh, who are using this technology, and for some people they'd say, well, the, the technology is taking over. The technology becomes uh, all-embracing uh, in our lives. In fact, uh, there's concerns that teenagers may be more directed by the technology than by humanity. Is there a role here for the church in bringing humanity back into families that might have had that sense of family and humanity displaced? Yes, I think there is. As long as the church doesn't come across as being knee-jerk reactionary, um, that's been a challenge for us in the past, has it not? We can, if we're not careful, seem to be against anything that people actually enjoy or find fulfilling. But I think there is a role for us, among other groups, in uh, raising the question constantly, is this serving us? Um, There are challenges today with what we call absent presence, where you've got 10 people in a room, but only six of them are actually there, because the other four are all mentally engaged in cyberspace, you know. Um, We've got shallow thinking, I call it. Uh, There are a number of studies we've seen now that show that heavy internet use is changing the way the brain operates so that we think more shallow and broad as opposed to narrow and deep. So we know a little bit about a lot, but not a lot in one specialty area. And that will become more important uh, in times of even greater change coming. And one of the big things that's important for the church is the formation of transactional relationships with machines. There's some evidence now that we are forming these for the first time. When I married my wife, Davina, over 30 years ago, we formed a transactional relationship. So she will remember certain things, I will remember certain things, and together we sort of get it right most of the time. A transactional relationship with a machine means we no longer remember what we learned, we remember where we found it on the Internet, and we we rely on the machine to remember And, of course, that has no benefit to us in terms of producing innovation and growing us as human beings. So I think there the church does have a role in reminding people of the importance that technology is a servant. And while we're talking about ways that leaders need to change the way they think in a changing world, let's talk about another concept that you are raising called strategic failure. Uh, Is failure something here that we ought to look forward to, embrace, and find our successes out of failures? What do you mean by strategic failure? Yeah, well, Neil, I think a lot of the time we're too busy talking about success to see that there can be growth in what I call strategic failure. Now, not all failure is strategic. (laughs) 
obviously. And we're not talking here, by the way, about moral failure. We're talking about failure in pragmatic terms. Someone tries to do something and doesn't get it right. Um, a, a company, an organization, a church has a go at something and doesn't quite see it come off. It's really failure that ultimately helps us achieve our goals in ways that might not have been possible otherwise. Good example, Apollo 11. Uh, I'm sure you're old enough to remember that. I certainly am. Sure. In uh, July 69, um, two weeks before Apollo 11 took off, uh, in, a, in a test run, the lunar landing module crashed and burned, almost killing Neil Armstrong. Thankfully, there was no British health and safety or Australian health and safety authorities there at the time to close it down and say it's too dangerous. The culture within NASA simply said, we know we're going to fail along the way, so let's fail fast, fix it fast, and move on fast. I think that leaders need to expect and allow for some strategic failure in terms of their budgets, uh, making allowance for it in their project timelines, making allowance for it in how they measure people's performance over time. For example, how many times will we allow a staff member to screw up? If they're doing the right thing or doing with the right motive, are they allowed to make a mistake now and again? Um, in the business world, people are familiar with this because people like Sir James Dyson, who invented the bagless vacuum cleaner, went through 5,000 different iterations of his final prize-winning design before he got to that final product. And it was that product that put him on the map. So in many ways, it's not information today that gives us influence, it's innovation. And innovation requires that we allow a culture in which people are permitted to make mistakes now and again. Mel, if we talk about the strategic failure idea and apply that to issues of reaching out into a community, of building new facilities that might meet the needs of families, of reaching out with a gospel message to different parts of the world in new areas of mission, is there a way we can look at strategic failure and say uh, this is what we ought to expect and not be too hard on those who are having a go? Yes, definitely. And uh, of course, it's part of our Australian heritage. And I'm an expat at the moment, but I'm certainly an Australian at heart. And it's part of our natural wiring that we are pioneers by nature. Um, we like to think of ourselves as inventing anything from two pieces of 4 by 2 and a piece of barbed wire, as it were. Um, so the, that's a good thing. Uh, and we need, we need to ensure that we don't lose that. At the same time, within that, understanding that mistakes will be made. Um, and as you say, an engagement with community, setting up new programs for outreach and for community care, there will be mistakes made by us or by those we're in alliance with. And we need to be big enough to say, well, we're going to press on anyway. Um, and not really refer too much to those, who, to our peers in the sense that, well, I want to do it the way he's done it. And I measure myself by his success. Because in my view, in a theological sense, the favour of God looks different on different people. Mel, before I let you go, let's talk about your latest book. It's been out for a little while. It's called Fascinating Times, a social commentary. Describe what you are communicating in your book, Fascinating Times. Well, Neil, the book, uh, Fascinating Times, is really about what it says. Um, the word fascination is an interesting word. It has a twofold meaning. It can mean fascinating in a very positive sense, but it can also mean fascination in the sense of being like a rabbit in the headlights, you know, just struck with fear at what is coming. And these are, in both senses of the word fascinating, fascinating times. So this is a social commentary based on some of the major issues of our time and uh, how we might apply uh, a positive worldview, and in our case a Christian worldview, to those issues. It's not a Christian book in the sense that it was written to the wider marketplace, but uh, it's a collection of essays written over five years, 
for my media appearances and other things that I was asked to contribute to on some of the big stories of our time. And most of your listeners will be familiar with these stories. What we're trying to do here is inject a very positive view of what might be coming as a result of some of the areas of challenge that may be arising as a result of those questions. Well, the book is available as an e-book worldwide via Amazon or you can go to the website at 2020plus.net for any digital device and get a hold of fascinating times. Mal Fletcher, social futurist and the head of the 2020 Plus International Think Tank based in London. Great to have you on 2020 today here, Mal, and uh, let's talk again another day. Thanks so much for being with us. It's a pleasure, Neil. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.